every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lying on the floor, flopping around like a <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, hope he pitches me to whoever it is. Like, if you think that way, then you're just trying to use people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Yeah. He pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew in the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. As soon as you start telling stories and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Now, today we are talking about improv, and my guest is Kiff Vandenhoevel. He is an American actor, director, and teacher, and he teaches improv as well as acting in general, and he's been in some huge projects. Films such as Batman v Superman, La La Land, Behind the Candelabra, and games such as Bioshock Infinite, and The Walking Dead, and Star Wars, and you get the idea he's been in a lot, and he's very experienced. Now, we go deep into improv and approaches to sessions, voiceover sessions, and casting and characterization. And there is a lot of information in this episode, possibly rivaling Maria's episode in terms of content. So get your notepads out. There is some really interesting stuff about approaches to auditioning that some of which I've never heard before and has really made me rethink my approach. I do honestly think, without being too hyperbolic here, I think this is a career-changing episode for some folks out there, particularly those of you who may be stuck in a rut, maybe not be booking quite as much as you'd hope, and uh, this hopefully will get you out of your head a little bit and uh, reassessing your approach to your auditioning and booked projects. Suffice to say, I should probably shut up and we should get on with the episode, Um Obviously, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group, blah, blah, blah. This is the VO School podcast, so you just type that in and you'll find it. Um, also, we're now gearing up for the Vocation Conference, which is happening in September, the 11th through 13th. So find us on there, vocationconference.com, for all the information and the links. We're slowly drip-feeding out little tidbits of information about what to expect. Lots of very, very exciting plans afoot there. So definitely connect with us on the socials for the conference as well as the podcast. And yeah, I'm running out of steam. Let's get to an ad and then into this fantastic interview. The National Zoo. <laughs> because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. 
Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. All right. So today, I am joined by the wonderful Kiff Vanden Heuvel. He is an actor, TV actor, as well as voice actor and film and everything like that. Um, and we're going to be talking about improv. So, Kiff, hello. Dude, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jamie. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really, really appreciative of you, you spending time with us today, because you're going to be talking about something that um, I know zero about. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw this at you straight out the gate. Uh, you improvise every day, all day long. Uh, you, you don't know what you're going to say and, and what dictates, you know, how you respond to things is based on listening and reacting. And that's really the essence of what improv is, huh. is, you know, using that skill set that you already possess, that you've been trained and culturized to have and, uh, and bringing that to your work to make your life, to make your, your, uh, you know, your performance come alive. Well, wow, there we go. I'm so there you go. More advanced wow. already <laughs> than I even realized. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so let's kick things off by finding yeah. out about you because um, you've got an amazing CV. Um, I was checking out your IMDb page <laughs> earlier oh, today. Um, so I'd love to hear how you got into this industry, and then we can talk about some of the work you do currently a little bit later. So how did you get sure. started? Um, I mean, I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, like the south side of Grand Rapids, Michigan, in a little community called Cutlerville. And um, I'm the uh, I'm I'm the oldest of five boys and the grandson of two ministers in the Christian Reformed Church and the nephew of two uh, two ministers. So if you're an extrovert and you like speaking, like <laughs> uh, there's there's room for you in the church. Um, but I, I like Daddy Murphy too much, and uh, <laughs> really. <laughs> wasn't really wasn't really called to the pulpit you know yeah so um uh, but but i found other ways to express that I, I fell in love with cartoons and with saturday night live and it was um and and while simultaneously an escape in some respects it was also a place to put my energy mm. um and you know i'm i'm an extrovert i love throwing stuff around i remember we were at the epcot center when i was probably 12 or 13 and we went to um we were over by the Italian uh, pavilion and they were doing some street performance. And this guy did this show called Dennis, the menace of Venice. <laughs> and, um, and uh, I, I mean, like a, a 13 year old kid, I, my, my mind photographed that show. Yeah. And then when I got back to Grand Rapids um, afterwards, I, I started looking for opportunities to, to do shows. Um, and you know, there, there weren't a lot. So I would like, because of uh, kind of the way I presented myself in high school of energetic and that kind of stuff and doing kind of large events and just kind of like being a hype man in a way, like I was kind yeah. of the flavor flavor of, of <laughs> South Eastern high school. Um, yeah. uh, I got approached by a couple churches and weddings to do something as the entertainment. And uh, so I would do Dennis, the menace of Venice. Yeah. And it was kind of my first experience of working a room and uh being really interactive like you have this the structure of it is kind of like a you know an audience interaction sort of an improvisation yeah. i didn't know that's what it was but that was one of the things that i did to make money when i was in high school 
And, uh, and honestly, it was one of the first places that I really was performing. And I, I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy to, to start it in that way, but it was just like a combination of, of work ethic and hustle with, uh, building that talent and that skill. And what about your voice? Did that play an early part in, in your performance? Was that something key? Because I've checked out your website and you're very versatile with your voice. Was that always something that you've used? I, I start, absolutely. I mean, I started with impressions of cartoon characters, right? Yeah. So like it was, it was, can I do Yogi Bear? I could do, I could do Yogi very well. Um, I could do Daffy Duck and Sylvester very well. Like I could do the Warner Brothers characters pretty well for, you know, for a seven-year-old, yeah. an eight-year-old kid, as well as that kid can do Yogi, but then I could never get Bugs Bunny. And then like when I got older, I could find him, you know, yeah. you find a placement, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so always it was with mimicry and impressions for me, always. Yeah. That's kind of been, um, the, the place where I would talk to invisible, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> these characters lived in my life in a very real kind of way. I mean, I feel like, uh, I was, I was like, uh, I was Eddie Valiant and who framed Roger Rabbit, but no one could see the cartoon character, right. <laughs> yeah. but like that suited me well. And I, I and I worked on that skill set. And then as I got older, I started to discover that I could do like with Saturday night live came onto my radar. We got a VCR that Christmas and I taped, uh, that first, like it was Martin Short and Chris Guest and Billy oh, Crystal was that amazing. season. Yeah, yeah, amazing. incredible. And I would tape all those and then watch them at Jim Belushi and then like uh, memorize the bits. And then I found out that a lot of those guys came from, or at least Marty Short and uh, and Jim. Um, oh God, I don't know that. Well, it came from uh, from Second City, and that right. that kind of set that particular trajectory. That's um, uh, Chicago, right? Yes. Yeah. But they, but second city also came to, um, they came to a couple other places like they're headquartered in Chicago, but they have a space out here now. Right. Um, uh, they, they had one in Detroit and they had a space in Cleveland as well. Oh, no. And those places figured prominently in kind of getting me out of the Midwest in a lot of ways. I, I managed to, um, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but, uh, my, my, all that VO sort of energy that I was creating as a kid with impressions, with playing with my voice, with trying to figure out what kind of an instrument I had to stretch it, all those things, uh, for entertainment. Um, you know, when I got through high school and then into college, I started to do more stuff. I was like a DJ at the radio, you know, at college radio and that kind of stuff. And then, um, after graduating from college, I got an opportunity to work on a TV series called Christie. Uh, for CBS down in Townsend, Tennessee. Hmm. And it was, a you know, I worked utility sound on that. So I was crewing and wrapping cable, but like being around microphones all day long, being yeah. around like this one, the 416 that's in front of me. Like we used the 416, the 816 and the Sheps and radio mics, but it was mostly boom miking. So I, I got a wonderful education on XLR cables and, and care and uh how to wrap properly and the difference between all the different cables and how to like i did all the looping for the first season of the show i was the oh. mixer on that and presumably if you're booming you're getting close to the performances as well so you're seeing really up close and personal with the acting side as well yeah i mean i was usually second boom i was the like the boom guy charlie bond was responsible on the first season anyway was was boom guy and darren knight was our mixer and and i would be there on like if they were doing a really long lens and Tyne Daly's on the back of a horse and it's a walk and talk and it's like 
from the, the crest of this hill and they're going to walk like 300 yards uh, and the camera's, you know, super far off. They're going to need, you know, Darren hated radio mics. He hated the sound. He preferred, you know, the sound of, of, of the 416 on it. So yeah. Charlie would get on a ladder with this 816 with a big Zeppelin on it and the pole would be extended 30 feet and he's standing there holding it up wow. there. And then I would carry Tyne and Kelly um, like from, you know, uh, the second half of the shot. Like it was, it was, there's no training for it. And it's just like, okay, uh, we're spending a million dollars an episode. Grab that boom pole and a microphone. <laughs> go boom these stars, will you please? And don't get the mic in, in frame. You know, so you start to learn. It was a tremendous education. That aspect of it, I was, if I was a set PA, I would have learned producer skills. But this was much more about the skills of of production. And, and yes, being close to those actors and watching, you know, watching what they needed to do to prepare, what it is to be the difference between stage acting and film and TV acting and mm. the difference of those actors like Kelly Martin grew up on television. Tyne Daly grew up on Broadway. So like watching Tyne be able to fill a space and then also be able to take it and make it small for the frame and connect to our, it was, it was a tremendous education. Yeah. We actually had an interesting discussion with Jonathan Price about this on this mm. other podcast, um, how he was talking about the difference between stage and screen acting mm. and he said stage acting is just screen acting but shouted <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously there's more to it than that but it was it was a funny quote that's great that's like promo that's like promo is commercial but shouted like. yeah exactly <laughs> um so was it then a strategic decision for you to go the crew side into the acting or was that just how it panned out oh, in your life no definitely i i right. felt like coming from where i came from there was no touch points uh right. in the industry that really showed me a clear path to get to it to yeah. get in front of a camera um aside from putting myself in front of it and the only way really to uh, there was the education was incomplete so i was like if i can if i can get behind the camera the 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 cost of entry is a lot easier yeah. um you know what i mean like personal cost <laughs> all that other kind of stuff like i can i can get on a set um, but like from there, it's like, now I have access to find out, talk to actors, talk to extras, talk to day players, get right. to know people. Like I got to meet Steven Root and John Schneider and oh, the, cool. both those guys were day players on our show. Oh, Steven were, Root is amazing. Right? Oh my God. And what like, he guy. was just kind of starting off. He was so, and he's so generous and it was amazing to, uh, like we're at the same talent agency out here and I got to talk to him a couple of times. I'm like, I don't know if you remember, but, but we worked together on X and so show and all this stuff. <laughs> It was super cool. He seems like a humble guy. Man, 100%. Like, I just, I love, I love character actors. I'm yeah. honored to be a character actor because they're just, they're just, uh, I don't know, there's just something about folks, just kind of blue collar working class guys. Yeah. So when did you make the move to move to LA? Did you go there with sort of stars in your eyes or did you have, a, have uh, something lined up when you got there? Well, I didn't want to come out here unrepresented. Okay. Um, and I... I knew how hard that would potentially be. So when I went to, when I got to Detroit and started, uh, started chasing second city, I, I, my goal was if I can get, if I can get on main stage at second city, I can get equity. And if you're equity, then you can buy your way into SAG. I didn't think that mm. I didn't know that Detroit was such a wonderful union city. I mean, I got, I got into SAG before I got equity. Oh. Um, and that was, I got in on Billy Crystal's feature, the movie 61 was my first, uh, I had done a, a job for a, a filmmaker named Bob Dyke. We did this film called Time Quest. 
Hmm. It was my first speaking role in a film and that Taft Hart lead me. And then I got into 61. Yeah. Um, and uh, joined the union and then started booking national commercial work, which was amazing. So then it was like, oh, I want to get out to L.A. Um, but I got my 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 head turned by the second city and by improv. And that was where it really um, breathed back into me. I had done it in college and started a team called River City Improv after we graduated from college. But then when I went out of town to go work on television production, I kind of left improv behind. Um, right. But uh, going back to Detroit from Tennessee, um, got me back into improv in a pretty heavy way. And then, uh, and then it was, you know, equity work and, and, uh, a couple of years on stage and teaching and directing and really honing that skill. Mm. And that led us to Cleveland. And after we left, after Cleveland closed, we went to Chicago for five years. And in Chicago is really where my VO career took off in a, in a significant fashion. Uh -huh. And the improv was 100% a massive part of that. Um, you know, Chicago is a, is a, I would say probably 95% of the VO work there is commercial and it's big commercial. Um, and, um, you know, being able to do, to have improv, uh, an improv skill set at a time where they're like, we want realistic, natural conversational style improv suits that incredibly well. Right. Um, so, uh, so that, that helped make that transition. And then, um, after five years, we were like, let's, let's go to LA. I'm repped. We got money. We've got some significant credits. I had a relationship with a talent agency out here and we made the move. That's great. So you didn't go there as a starving artist and try and fight your way out of the pool of a million other starving artists. No. It was a much better way of doing it. Do you think yeah. having this voiceover career enabled you to hit LA with a little more, confidence you didn't go into every casting thinking i gotta book this because i gotta pay my electric bill you know um, it, it got to that place certainly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i mean that you know every, every market every market has its unique challenges and um i wasn't starving when we moved out here i had three mm. national campaigns running but they all ended just as we moved here so mm. like that transition into a new place and you're like i want to do well for my new agents and, uh, you know, the first, the first two years in Los Angeles were really, really challenging, but what was, what makes it different is as long as you're getting auditions, you're kind of okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, I, I sold my share of DVDs to be able to get 40 bucks to go to the Ralph's and buy bread and oatmeal so I could feed my family. Yeah. And, uh, and I've had to borrow money from people and I've also been able to borrow money to people like, that, I mean, we all, you know, you know, this, this path is like, it's filled with ups and downs, yeah. but, but what made the difference between being in, being in a market like Cleveland as a union actor and being in Los Angeles as a union actor is that in Los Angeles, more than likely I'm going to see an audition every day in Cleveland. That wasn't the case. I was driving to Detroit three times a week to audition. Right. And so like you, you really get, you know, pre home studio stuff, you know, it was like, that was, that was the job. Um, and, uh, so having that foundation of remember how bad it can be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, is, is good incentive to like, and this is such a vast market with so many different ways to enter it. Like yeah. I got into, I got into audiobooks um, because I wasn't booking commercial stuff. And I was like, right. well, I'll, I'll jump on ACX and, and, um, and I booked three, I auditioned for three books and I booked all three of them 
Wow. And then all of a sudden had to produce. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? 200,000 words of copy. Yeah. 200, yeah. 100% for royalty share. Yeah. Oh, and wow. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was a tremendous education. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you realize when you take your foot off the gas a tiny little bit, just how quickly everything dries up, right? You have yeah. to, you have to be full on all the time. Um, <clears throat> so let's switch this now to specifically improv. Cause that's what we're talking about today. Now, who is improv for? Now we're mainly focused on voiceover, but obviously voiceover, there are many genres of voiceover. So does improv help all genres of voiceover or certain genres over others? I believe voiceover informs and infuses every single genre of voiceover work um, with a different kind of life and energy and approach. Yeah. Um, voiceover or improv helps you to be, I'm, I know I'm speaking in generalities, but I'll dive into more specific in a moment. Like yeah. improv helps you remain open as you face this copy. Mm. You know, you know what, listen, when I'm at second city or an improv set with my group, Detroit sandwich or with voice NATO or whatever, when we're playing, we're bouncing off of each other. But in this context, when I'm in my booth, I have to bounce myself off the script. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm like, looking for suggestions from from the description of the copy where it's like oh you know 30s to 40s uh guy next door i'm like okay guy next door what is what does that mean that's the suggestion from the audience so how can i i be the guy next door well i am kind of the guy next door okay um and if it's about being real generally it's a little bit less projected a little bit more inside of myself and then so you start to kind of you just sort of play and yeah. and that's kind of I mean, more or less, I'm talking you through my process of how I look at a piece of script, but before I address the words, I kind of figure out, you know, by taking that suggestion of what that means and not trying to be right. Like that's what's one of the things that improv gave me is like, if the audience gives you a suggestion, if you live in service of that suggestion, the audience will get really bored. It's yeah. part of the reason you don't really like getting uh, blue suggestions. You know, if the audience is yelling, you know, dildo and you're like uh, dildo thank you there's not a whole lot of unless i take that suggestion and turn it into something unusual mm. it's worthless right and i guess as that relates to voiceover it's it's like getting the specs and obsessing over certain yeah. words in the specs is that similar kind of thing absolutely yeah. like take the suggestion and go okay great now what does that suggestion mean to me mm. how do i translate that into something other than oh friendly lovable warm you know, you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. then you're sitting there going was that this was that that did this meet the measurables that they were requesting who cares what matters is did i take that suggestion and give my version of that yeah and and that's good enough improv teaches us to to be disposable with our choices. Like if you go into a, into a callback audition or just any direct, any audition where you get to have the feedback of someone and you make a strong choice, that's the other important thing is that you actually make a choice. You don't just look at it and go, okay. Yeah. And then just read the copy and go, that was friendly, right? I was, I mean, I was thinking friendly thoughts, <laughs> you know, but, but then like having, having the suggestion that you make, be incorrect in a way and then having a booth director or the director or writer tell you oh let's i'm not sure that i like that let's try a different choice not getting attached to those ideas like your 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 work is great but it's about flexibility and about yeah. taking suggestions and and really about openness like even in 
even an audiobook. Like, yeah, the improv is not words. Improv is not writing. Improv is the space in between the words. Improv mm. is the life that runs through it. Words on a script, in a book, in a whatever, they're the bones, right? Yeah. But emotion is the muscles. Emotion is the is the is the life and the blood that flows through them and that moves those muscles, moves those bones into wonder into, you know, vaults, into sprints, into uh hugs and embraces. Like that's what that's how improv infuses all of those things. Oh, and, I love that. Yeah. And when what it really is at its heart, man, is just it's just openness. Yeah. And and you know, like connecting to a partner. And if that partner isn't directly in front of you, it's finding another way to to listen and, you know, and trust your instincts. You're improvising with yourself, you know? And when you're in doing voiceover, imagination is a key part of that process, right? You have to I often think that there's a sort of movie playing in my head as as mm. things are happening on the screen as I'm reading the script or however yeah. it's working. Oh, yeah. And that helps improv helps to keep that limber, keep your mind limber and versatile to be able to do that. I, absolutely. Like yeah. it just, you know, you're like some of those, some of those scripts make it really easy to see that. Like yeah. you, you know, like uh, one of the, one of the pieces, it's like a, you know, it's like a seven year old script. I don't know where I got it. It's like a tide, like anthemic yeah. thing talking about all the places, all the things in your life and the description of the movie that runs in your head. You're just, you're just, you know, dropping the words in to fit that movie. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes that movie in your head is totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, this is it. Yeah. It's better yeah. to sort of crash and burn than just sort of be blah, right? That's that's my 100%. approach anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd rather make a wrong choice, committed, bold, like I'm currently the voice of IFC. And my oh, cool. first, uh, one of the voices, I think there's three of us. And, and the first audition I did for them was for Funny or Die TV, and mm. they wanted the world's worst voiceover actor. <laughs> <laughs> the, the specs. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what would that be? And um, so I got a bowl of cereal <laughs> and and I read the copy with uh while eating cereal. <laughs> and right. um I, I made I made sure I did one that wasn't that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then my second take was me eating a bowl of cereal. And the producer told me, he's like, dude, we it it killed everybody. It killed everybody. And it, even though we didn't do this, do that campaign with me with a mouthful of, you know, yeah. Quaker oats. <laughs> um, well, that would be oatmeal. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was the oats, but this we're going to have to get an oatmeal sponsorship for this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good idea. <laughs> Sponsored by, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but like he said, what, what it spoke to is that you understood what we were looking for in yeah. a different way. And that was the thing about winning and it taught me a great lesson about winning the audition versus winning the spot. You know, like the stuff you do for the audition isn't necessarily what you end up doing in the spot. Those guys on your podcast just recently were just talking about that very thing. Yeah. You know, uh, that panel that you did with the, with the agents and manager. Mm. So uh, that really resonated too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you teach as well. So how yes. much is confidence? How much does confidence play into this? If you're working with someone that's very shy and introverted, it's going to be a bit of a more of a challenge for them to go there, right? You have to break that down a little uh, bit. I don't know. No? I think people who are shy and introverted have a totally different kind of confidence. And as someone who is, uh, 
as someone who's like a natural extrovert and like I, more often than not, I'm getting people going, okay, that was great. Let's do another take. Let's pull it back just a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of my natural state. Um, I, my, my wife is an introvert, but like the choices that she makes are so thoughtful and mm-hmm. intriguing and interesting. And like, it's not about improv and energy and all those things aren't necessarily about volume and intensity. It's, it's about, uh, it's about commitment and, and reality. And the beautiful thing about a microphone is like, I can, I can be right here. I can be this quiet and this intimate and, and it's, and it's filled with life and energy and emotion and that there, that there's room for, for everybody to bring that and and the the creative process is is identical in that respect regardless of who you are when you meet it yeah does that make sense like yeah. you the, you you can you can be any type of way um the, the by but by play, you're playing how you play and that's what's so wonderful about the volume of work that's out there the variety of work that's out there that there are people who are you know like who bristle at the idea of having to do a piece of medical copy and other people who are like, Oh man, all I want to do is e-learning because I believe in educating the world. Yeah. Like it's, it's moving to me. So, so, you know, I think that, that, that these skills of, of openness and, and, uh, agreement, uh, which is one of the tenets of improvisation and, um, and uh, occluding denial or saying no to denial, you know, which is, I think, an, an underused rule of improv. I think it's honestly, even in some respects, more important than yes and. I think that it supports everybody, regardless of, of how big or small or introverted or extroverted or shy or brash anyone is. So there's this expectation which goes counter to that in a way that it, it's all about being extroverted and you know going crazy and wild what is your goal then when you're working with someone who is on the shy scale you know towards the introverted side um are you just trying to get them to be authentic to themselves um yeah. just to try and bring that out of them in a way that they're not inhibited by their introversion it's it's just yeah. part of who they are that's a great question i mean if the copy is asking for them to push themselves into a way where it's like a, let's say it's a ranty kind of spot, you know, um, then it's like, I, I, I want to, I, yeah, I want, I want to see how far you can push yourself. I want to see if you can come out of that place. Mm. Is that a piece of copy that's naturally going to come comfortable to you? No, yeah. probably not. But you get a piece of copy for Zales, you know, <laughs> jewelry store at Christmas and you're talking about intimacy or a piece about the ASPCA or about adoption of pets or something like that or something that they're passionate about. Like what, what I'm looking for is not necessarily volume, scale, size, energy. I'm looking for, I'm looking for intensity. I'm looking for connection. I'm looking for emotional life and access to that Mm. access in this classroom with six, seven, 12 other strangers looking at you and you taking a risk that brings tears to everybody's eyes. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm looking for. That's bringing your, your authentic self and opening it and sharing it. And, and for some people that's a risk and for some people it's not. And for the people who it is a risk, who don't wear their hearts on their sleeves to do a piece of copy that doesn't necessarily have any emotional resonance until they really start 
opening themselves up to it and finding out what's really there. Those are some of the more memorable moments in class. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's, it's incredibly satisfying when, when that, when that happens. And, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really, it's, I, it's, I don't know. I was just yelling about this in a class the other day. Like <laughs> there's a, there's a bit in the movie, uh, the professional where, um, yeah. where, uh, He's gonna, he says to Matilda, Leon says to Matilda, you're going to start by killing with a, with a sniper rifle. Um, and she's like, why is that? And he said, because of the distance that you are from the victim yeah. and that you will, as you get better, we will close the distance. And the final, the final thing is how close you are to your, is the knife. Yeah. And the re and th it's the same thing is true with, with copy. And I feel like with commercials, like it's like when you start with animation, animation is big and broad and there can be some truth and stuff, but it's often, you know, people come to it. I want to do animation. Cause I want to, cause I'm an extrovert and I'm crazy. But like when you give them a piece of commercial copy, that's super intimate and you're so close to yourself, it can break people down. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. Like commercial work is, is just, it's just you being okay with you being you. And that requires a tremendous amount of confidence. Yeah. I find the casting process fascinating, why certain mm. people are cast for certain roles. I think we have this uncanny ability as humans to pick up on authenticity, even if there's just an essence of it. It doesn't, obviously, you can play a character that is not your everyday life character, sure. but there has to be some level of connection to whoever it is that you're playing, even if it is wildly different, you know? Yeah. Um, that authenticity comes through, right? There, there's no way of completely faking that. I, I agree. I think that, I, I think you can find and choose those things. I mean, I've certainly played, you know, egregious people. Like, I mean, I, when I played Comstock and Bioshock Infinite, like the stuff that guy says is, uh, you know, so incredibly staggeringly racist and terrifying. And, um, you know, my, my wife's African-American and when she was playing Bioshock Infinite and listening to these, these audio logs that I had recorded, oh, <laughs> what am Awful. I listening to? But like, you know, I was still finding how you find what you love about this character. How do you mm. find where you connect and where you intersect? And sometimes those things are just have to be manufactured. Mm. They do. I mean, it was, I, I found... I'm an I'm an impressionist, so I often work from the outside in. Right. I listen and try to voice match. You know, like when I I've been scratching. A uh, movie comes out uh, in a couple of weeks, but I like well, like for example, I scratched uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Doolittle, mm. and so I had to find his voice print, and then like what he was doing with his Welsh dialect to try to match that, and then to act and make the moves that he makes in the movie, even though they haven't shot those scenes yet. And I'm trying to scratch and bring emotional life to it. So yeah. it's like working from the outside in, not from creating this process. Who am I? And all that other kind of stuff. And I was remember watching this uh, special feature on the movie collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx and Jamie Foxx talking about that very thing. He's like, Tom Cruise is this tremendous world-class actor. I'm a sketch comic comedian <laughs> impressionist. Yeah. How are we going to meet together in that car? Yeah. I, I build characters from the outside in and I don't know if that's valid mm. and like watching, I don't know why that still chokes me up, but it does like watching Tom Cruise and Michael Mann talk about Jamie Foxx's process and yeah. Tom Cruise going, I, I was, I was in awe at how fast he was able to find his character. 
And yeah. like Jamie Foxx is like, I'm doing impressions. And then that helped me find the guy. And it was then just a he, routine for him. Yeah. That's right. And like, and just this kind of what was, what was wonderful about that was kind of going against what I'd heard from so many teachers and different people along my path saying, if it's not coming from the inside out, it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. And I'm an ear guy. I was trained by mimicking, but like I can find the truth by coming at it from that way. And I feel like uh, that, you know, you should be in the, you should be in a never ending pursuit of trying to refine and improve your, your sort of character creation, your uh, process. Right. And we learn about the world in multiple ways. We sometimes experience it. Sometimes we have to read a book on some things, you know? So sometimes just hearing the voice coming out of your mouth and making adjustments from that, I guess is, is a valid process too. Absolutely. Like this diagnostic, like you're, like you're tweaking dials to like try to find the right frequency, you know, like, like, I mean, there, there are so many different ways, the ways that we haven't even discovered yet mm. that radically transform the way you approach the work. And, um, I feel like to lay judgment on any one, uh, particular approach is, uh, is ignorant. And do you think, um, improv opens people up to more opportunities to explore these, these ways of approaching characterization? Yeah, I really do. Yeah. But what, what I love about improv is that it, one of the things I love, one of the things uh, is that it's it's just playful, yeah, and it kind of teaches you and reminds you how to play. And if you don't know like where to begin, like for folks who are listening to this conversation and don't have access to either a workout group or um, anyone, like so many people I know who like kind of live twenty miles from anybody else. Yeah. Um, there's this wonderful book by Viola Spolin. She's kind of the grandmother of improvisation. Um, her son, Paul Sills, uh, founded the compass players, uh, the second city and all that. Uh, but she wrote a book called improvisation for the lone actor oh. and their exercises for actors to do by themselves that are based on theater games. Improv games are essentially tools that she developed for students to get bet to become better actors. It's all just acting training. That's really it. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's not a separate way of approaching the work. It's a separate mindset from approaching the work, but it's also a common language. She says in the forward to improvisation for the theater that I, I work professionally in theater and I've got kids who've just graduated from college who might have come from a liberal arts college like mine and people who are established working pros coming together to be in rehearsal the first day of rehearsal, the same, you know, with, with different lexicons, with different experience levels, with varying confidence. And what improv games allow us to do is have fun and find a truth and establish a common lexicon between us. Yeah. Get us playing and thinking that way. And that's really, you know, what, what these games uh, are, are for. And they make great performance games too. People realized like, Hey, this is really entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at second city, we use it to write shows. I mean, all of our, all of our shows are written, um, but they're written through improvisation. We write a oh. write a scene, improvise it in front of an audience, see what works, re-improvise the scene, re-improvise it until it just it's just polishing, you know. Do you think there is benefit to a voice actor who is used to just being stationary in a booth, going to an improv class and using their body? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Largely because I think being static in the booth, um, I think you hear it. Mm. Uh, David Lewis is a wonderful casting director in Chicago was, it was his pet peeve was if you get into his room and he's reading, he, 
and you had your hand in your pocket or you weren't moving or whatever, he's like, I want, I want you moving. I want to hear your excitement and energy. I want to hear it. You know, yeah. Walsh, Dave Walsh talks about, you know, when the true tell talks about, you know, how you can, you can think a fabric and a texture and I can hear it. So like, if that's the case, if you're like moving your upper body <laughs> and gesturing, the sound is going to change. The movement is going to change. And I also think like, like object work, I use object work in the booth all the time. It's just pantomime, right? Mm. Object work is like, uh, but it's with, with objects. So like, if I have a character that's supposed to be cool, like I did a read this morning, it was like the character's supposed to be comic, but also cool. I gave myself an invisible cigarette. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I didn't draw from it, but I'm doing it right now. I'm just holding my two fingers apart. Like yeah. I, like I used to smoke and, and just a little cool, you know, and it has a different vibe to it than if I'm, if I'm not yeah. doing that. And it's just, again, it's, Think of it in terms of the specs, like it's another suggestion, but this is a suggestion I'm giving myself. Yeah. I did that the other day as well. I had to do did a character really? where I was giving instructions over a radio. So I was like, careful not to put my hand in the way, but I was holding my hand up as if I was speaking to a radio and it made all the difference in the world. It's crazy how it does because it informs the other part of it that I think is really great about uh, another, another great thing about improv um, <laughs> is, is how much you rely on environment how much the environment transforms yes. what you're reading. Like if I'm reading, I had Rick Wasserman on my podcast and he was talking about that thing when he was doing the Mad Men or when he was doing promos for AMC of like his process for doing a Mad Men promo versus doing the promo for The Walking Dead. And like those voice prints were very, very different, still distinctly him. Yeah. But what made them different was the circumstance and the environment. Mm. And the environment he recorded them were always the same in his booth, but he would create this space. Like in The Walking Dead, he's like, I'm in the bottom of my closet. Yeah. And I don't want anyone to hear and I have a jacket over my head tonight <laughs> in The Walking Dead. You know, it's like, oh man, like how that, how that, he's just improvising with yeah. himself and changing the environment. Coming back to that world building thing again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in mocap environment, environment work and environment awareness and all those skills that come from just working that muscle out with improv is really, really important yeah. because you're working in a, you know, a very brightly lit warehouse space <laughs> wearing spandex with a bunch of other people in spandex, yeah. imagining that you're, you know, walking through a street in Moscow and it's snowing and you're being shot at like yeah. that imagination needs to, needs to be, uh, painting all those things before the graphic, you know, the, the incredibly talented uh, texture map artists uh, get a chance to, to step in and do that work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned yes and a little while yes. ago. Um, I want to get on to a couple of quick questions before we get to audience questions. Now, sure. what should a voice actor expect in their first class? And like I say, you mentioned yes and. What does that mean? And how is that important in improv? The, the three principal rules of improvisation, it's kind of like fight club, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, first, the first rule is yes and. And what yes and means is agree. First of all, it's about agreement. We can't, we're, we're having a conversation for a podcast. We are in agreement about what we're doing, mm. right? That's the first aspect of yes and. That, that uh, I'm talking to you differently than if we're sitting at a coffee table um, you know, I'm, I'm imagining, I see your face on the other side of, yeah. <laughs> right now. It's a, right now it's a, it's a picture of Kevin from the office on a <laughs> birthday card, but, uh, but you're, that's, that's who I'm talking to. So that, that's the yes part. The, and is adding onto it, adding my uniqueness, 
So like, for example, the difference is if I say it's a beautiful day outside and you say, yes, it is. Where do we go from there? The scene is, the scene is over. I have yeah. nothing else to react to. Otherwise it makes me sound stupid. So if, if you say to me, uh, it's a beautiful day outside, I say, yes, it's beautiful out. In fact, I went down to the, to the ocean and flew my, my airfoil kite. Mm. Now, all of a sudden I've got something to build off of. And if you say you have an airfoil kite, I have a box kite that I got from the hobby store right before they closed. And then I say, oh, we can fly our kites together and finally do something more than sit and talk on a podcast. (laughs) But all of a sudden we've built like, there's so much more to the scene. That's what yes. And is it's adding your uniqueness to it. And it's, it's part of a partnership, right? That's, that's the key. That's right. Exactly. And you know, but like, as I said, with, you know, when you're doing solo improv, how do you yes. And that you're yes. Anding your own ideas. You're yes ending the script. You're yes ending the things that are coming to you and say, yes, the script. And it's really easy to look at the specs and go, oh, they want Jason Statham, a Jason Statham type. I'm not Jason Statham. Ah, man. And approaching it with a, with a denial, yeah. all of a sudden affects your read. It affects how you, all this is, is to, to help you up. Yes. Yes. I'm Jason Statham and I'm Jason Statham with an American, American accent. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I got a cigarette and I'm, I'm Jason Statham. I'm Jason Statham type. You know what I mean? Like yeah. by just, by just agreeing to the stupid thing and taking the suggestion being like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Then, it's like a positive uh, affirmation. A hundred percent. Yeah. The second, the second rule of improvisation is do not deny why I'm passionate about do not deny is like I watch too many improv groups swim in denial for the sake of trying to get laughs. Mm. uh, Just to make this clear and have it on the record, man, improv is not about getting laughs. There's a lot of improv comedy, but improv itself is about living truthfully in the moment and reacting and responding. Not about trying to get laughs and copy or adding jokes. Like I can make a really beautiful dramatic scene out of improv using improvisation and and that, that should be the goal is to make it feel authentic. Mm. So denial, uh, let's see, I ran into this, uh, in our, in our workout group. Um, denial is just to make it clear, uh, Hey, it's a beautiful day today. Uh, no, it's not all of a sudden you've made me either. You've made your scene partner, either ignorant or a liar. Yeah. So like, uh, it also keeps the scene from going anywhere. Yeah. You're not bringing anything to it. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. We're stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And like, there's plenty of denial in life. Life is filled with it. But if you find yourself kind of practicing, yes, uh, it really opens you up to a lot of other things that you might not, you might not think of, you know, like, I mean, when Mm. I, when we first moved to Los Angeles and my, my, jobs went away and I was auditioning and I got a few things here or there, but I wasn't hitting the way I was hitting before. There was an opportunity to audition for a show at Disneyland. And the denial inside of me was like, ah, Disneyland, you really want to go be a costumed character? Come on, man. That's not why you moved to LA. But I said yes to it because, hey, it's work. I got to feed my family. It's straight work. It's a union job. It's Agva. And um, it's a way for me to uh, work on my craft. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I worked at Disneyland for seven years and like in between and had to stop because my VO career took off in a way that makes it impossible for me to pick up shifts down there. Yeah. But like the creative people and the gift of that place by saying yes to opportunities opens you up in ways to things that you just never, you can't imagine. You know, no yeah. is like, nah, I'm not going there because it'll suck. But like, you don't know. Yeah. How, how can you possibly know that that place will suck? So, 
With regard, before you get onto the third point here, yes. um, with regard to yes and, do you find people are occasionally paralyzed by possibility? There are too many options to go with, and they can't, you know, can't settle on one. Or is it just going with your gut? I think it's going with your gut and allowing it to be a disposable choice. Mm. Like coming back to what I said earlier, improv is disposable, meaning if if it's if it's if who cares if this is the choice I made in the moment mm. and maybe it's right or maybe it's wrong, but it's the choice I made, the more you get in the practice of making those choices, the less precious they become. Yeah. So consequently, it helps you just get open and fast. Yeah, that makes sense. Like yeah. most of the exercises that we do are that way. Most of the scenes I like to do are like 30 second scene two minute scene. I'm not trying to write a show here, man. We're just working on this skill set. You do this thing for 30 seconds. Who cares? If it, if it's funny, great. If it's not, who cares? Like we're just trying to exercise. I mean, it, it sounds like it's a really great exercise in breaking down overthinking, which is something Absolutely. that voice actors very much suffer oh, from man. chronically. hundred percent. Yeah. And if you get the opportunity to, to work out with folks or go like for auditions, like I really value at my agency, if I ever have something that I want to read in there, they're like, please, please. And the amount of time they save me of just being able to go and read in front of Scott and yeah. have him go, I like it. It's good. Send it. And you're like, yeah, but I could. No, yeah, but I could. Yeah. Get out. It's great. Yeah. I hear what everybody else is doing. It's fine. Go. Yeah. Great. And trying to trying to make every shot. Because the more you work it, the harder you work it, the, the more stiff it becomes and all that other stuff. Or it can, not always, but it can. And, um, you know, so I, I think, I, I think there's, there's real value in being able to, to learn how to like realize that your choices just aren't valuable. Yeah, <laughs> They're necessary, but they aren't valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I completely you believe know? it. They're like Q-tips really. Yeah. Cause sometimes you really just need to clear the crap out of your ear, but there's no value. <laughs> yeah. You know, think of that. Your improv, you know, your choices are Q-tips. There's, there's a box of 5,000. That's the you quote know? for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the, what is the other, the other, tenet? the third rule is, is avoid asking questions. And the reason oh. you avoid asking questions in scenes, um, and it's not necessarily truthful in life, but it's in, in, in scenes, it really is because you're asking your scene partner to write for you. Mm. Meaning this, if I, if I, let's say I go back to my object work cigarette and I look at you and I go, Hey, what, what's that you holding? Now, all of a sudden I've put, Maybe you were going to make an emotional choice. Maybe you had made a strong choice that you were getting ready to, to connect with me to. Right. But then I forced you into a place of justifying something. And it's essentially me telling you, hey, you, do what I say right now by answering this query. Yeah. Versus, um, I see that you're holding, I see that you're holding a, a letter from your grandmother. Yeah. It was stuck in a bunch of books. See, see the gift I gave my partner by saying that. Yeah, in something specific. Again, I just took a Q-tip. I was like, oh, it's a letter from your grandma, or it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bag full of dog crap that we're gonna go light and throw on someone's porch or whatever. <laughs> Who cares what it is? But, yeah. but I'm taking making a strong choice of saying what it is for my partner, so my partner can go yes and let's go do this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you avoid asking questions when you're creating improv scenes. I'm still trying to figure out the tie-in to to uh, to copy here, but but I do feel <laughs> it may not be a, a clear line, but that's okay. Uh, I think with yes and do not deny, it's pretty clear. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean just just the the idea of 
not overthinking everything is 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 hugely beneficial. Um, I do want to squeeze in two quick questions from me before I get to audience. If we can maybe squeeze through these, because I know you've got uh, you're a busy man. Um, sure. Do you have any? specific examples that you can think of now this is putting you on the spot kind of like the opposite of <laughs> what you've just been saying i should do um, right. that's the nature of this conversation yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your question. yeah. <laughs> where <laughs> you've used improv in a voiceover session like you've worked on some great shows like family guy and stuff like that do, how open are directors to this kind of approach um very open because part of it is like what I, and what i did on what i did on family guy was um i i did Tom Hanks. I did a Tom Hanks voice match for a, for a toy story bit. Yeah. So like there's the copy, but then it's, it's where the improv really came alive was in the, the reaction of, Oh no, Bo peep. Oh no. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's there on the page. Yeah. Oh no. Bo peep. Oh no. Buzz. Um, <laughs> but it was still like where I, those drawings didn't exist. I have to, yeah. I have to put that picture in my mind and I have to imagine Woody walking in and finding Bo Peep and Buzz in bed together. <laughs> and like, you know, so like, uh, it's all improv, right? It really is. Yeah. I, th- that's, those are the suggestions. And then just trying to react the way Woody would react. Yeah. And the way that's established to how Tom Hanks has been, you know, Oh, come on, Buzz. Oh no. You know, that, so that was the, yeah i mean and it's being That's authentic to you right it's, even though you're doing yeah. an impression of someone else you'll do it it's your impression of tom hanks you know that's right yeah it's my, yeah specifically yeah absolutely they can't write every little nuance on the page as, as you're going to interpret that and they don't want to yeah. you know writers are in collaboration they 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 get the it's like here's the joke and man there's nothing more satisfying i gotta tell you like as a comedy teacher there's nothing more satisfying than writing a great joke and having someone deliver that joke, but then bringing their own, their own uniqueness to that joke and making that joke even better, yeah. like fly beyond. Like I'm reading some of Don Green's books right now, the difference between optimal performance and peak performance mm-hmm. and like, you know, and then subpar performance. But then like having, having a great joke written on a piece of paper is like, oh, I'm at my optimal performance. But when you team up with someone and they bring their optimal performance to your optimal performance, yeah. it, it's to, it becomes a peak performance. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, that, that, that was even better than I even imagined it could be because you did it. Yeah. You made it great. And I gave you something. It's really, really satisfying. The closest thing it comes to is like an alley-oop or like yeah. something in sports where it's like, man, without that assist, you never would have been able to slam it, you know? Yeah. It just takes it to, into overdrive. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that, that's a short example because it's essentially, it was a one-line bit, yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time in that See, I way, gave you that gift of family guy to riff on, you know, that was my yeah. gift to you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me explore that. Much longer than I was in the booth for. Right. <laughs> They're like, hilarious, get out of here. I'm like, all right, thanks, And you guys. got an impression into the podcast as well. What, what, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Always nice to get an impression into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so finally, from my questions, what mistakes do people commonly make? when approaching improv trying to be funny yeah obsessing over the rules Mm -hmm. like the rules are important without a doubt um that's why you practice them so that they become second nature but if you but if you stop a scene going oh no i just denied you Mm. (laughs) then you're denying your denial like uh don't don't try to be right um that's the other part of it and these are kind of you know they're they're beginner errors in in every situation but like 
you know, you've talked a lot about confidence uh, as we, you know, from when we began this conversation. And, yeah. and I think confidence is the confidence certainly is the, is the, is the electricity that runs this particular city. And I imagine it's the same in New York. I, it was the same in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's the same everywhere that confidence is everything. And, and I can, I can have a crappy read, but if it's confident, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, that, that guy's terrible, but he sure believes what he's doing. Right. <laughs> you know, it's um, the sort and, of politician's approach to, uh, voice. Exactly. <laughs> I say it with exactly. confidence. Yeah. But like your, your confidence is, uh, your confidence is precious. Yeah. Um, Flavor Flav says on the on the track, he got game. Um, be on the lookout for the spirit snipers trying to steal your light. And he's right about that. Yeah. They are everywhere. Yeah. And in every every market, there are folks who are trying to steal your light and get an edge. And um, I think confidence confidence is an inoculation against that. You, you People want to tell you that you're lacking one thing or another. It was like I said at the very beginning, you've been improvising. You've been saying yes to your life. Yeah, brilliant. You, you know how to do this. Now it's just labeling these things as you continue to do the approach. I love um, that. So, so I think that's, that's something that, um, that not to get too, uh, too esoteric or I don't even know no. if that's the right use Go of that there. word. Go there. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think those are the mistakes. And I think that, um, the, the biggest mistake is that you stop. Right. Don't, don't try to be the perfect improviser. Don't, don't worry about that. Just, just, just be, uh, be truthful, be mm. truthful. There's no practice for being truthful. You just have to do it and, um, and do it all the time. And, uh, and that will really assist your work. Okay, great. So let's get on to some audience questions. Um, now, a lot of these subjects have actually been covered in our discussion, but it might be nice to sort of put a button on some of these things. Um, sure. So Rich Savage asks, how is improv different in VO as opposed to on stage? Uh, hi, Rich Savage. Thanks for your question. So um, improv is different in VO versus on stage for a couple reasons. Um, for Like the obvious thing is that you're, you're playing by yourself and that you're playing, uh, not necessarily because you might improvise in a, in a, in a commercial or in a group read uh, mm -hmm. with other people. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a difference. But one of the big things is that no one can see your body in the physical choices that you make uh, when you're in the booth. Mm -hmm. um, except, of course, if your child walks in or there's a cat sitting there. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, so that's, that's a big difference. And that should, in some respects, make it a little bit easier to improvise in your booth because you can pull every face. You can, you can do embarrassing things that you wouldn't necessarily do on stage because you feel like, I don't want to get judged by these 10 people in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so like that's, that's a big thing is that your, your, your booth is a playground. And by, by giving yourself the freedom to, to riff, um, is, uh, is really great. I, I find tremendous freedom uh, in, in improvising in VO. Um, you, and you can also do it with scripts. I find, I mean, I, man, I don't know that I've turned in an as written commercial script in the past five years. Wow. I'm sure I have, but yeah. I, I improvise a ton on my commercial copy, meaning a ton in volume over the course of it. I don't improvise a lot on the copy itself, yeah. a little bit, I'll improvise with a little bit of a, perhaps like a lead in to help me get there. I might stutter on something. I might, 
change the phrasing. I might improvise with myself, even though the words don't necessarily change, the intention might change. Mm -hmm. Um, All that stuff is inspired by how I'm feeling in the middle of the copy. And I feel like that's where you can really be doing it. Um, Also, you know, you're, when you're improvising in the booth, you're improvising with a script. Often when you're on stage, you're, you're improvising with no script. So you're, you're writing all that stuff as you're talking in this context, you're improvising with this copy and trying to find ways to make it come alive. Even if it's, even if it's e-learning medical copy, like, like I find, I don't know why medical, but like in, in, in e-learning projects, I really try to really make a connection to the listener even if it's like a stammer or stutter to make it feel more uh boy rip hamilton always used to say all the pistons from uh, the 2004 uh pistons uh always said if it ain't rough it ain't right and that's the truth when it comes to copy so i'll like um and that's getting more and more so these days right as they want conversational yeah 100 percent and, and in something that doesn't sound like it should, like, thank you for purchasing your craftsman power wrench. Let's go into the, the details of how to, but like something like a little stammer on the, yeah, a little stammer on, it makes it feel like the guy's speaking extemporaneously. Yeah. So like that little trick of giving yourself the ability to do like a little stammer or stutter here or there, that's an improvisation that doesn't change the copy. It changes the intention a little bit by making it feel like the guy is here and, and, uh, present, but you know, it doesn't slow anything down. If, if, you know, someone, someone's anal retentive, they'd be like, let's do another take, but lose that bit. Then you're like, okay, well now I know I can't do that, Yeah. but I'll find other places to do it with phrasing. And if you're submitting for an audition, something like that might prick up the ears of the casting director when they're listening to 75 auditions, sure. something like that might just, Oh, this, that was an interesting little, little bit. It was, it was interesting. I was talking to Sarah Sherman on my podcast. Sarah Jane Sherman is a wonderful casting director out here. And, mm. and, uh, and she said, and this is just, just as a, just to, to amplify this thing that she said, it's like, you know, casting directors aren't necessarily looking for things that, that, um, that, that make us go, huh? They did a lead in. That was interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like it's more about what you do with the copy. It's more about where how did that how did that choice affect it? Mm. If that stammer, yeah, it might it might be like, oh, the guy made a mistake or whatever. And maybe they will pay a little bit more attention. But maybe if you're thinking that way, you're approaching the script a little bit differently. And maybe that's what caught their attention. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Like yeah, the distinction the of right. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just plowing through a ton of stuff. And if stuff is all wooden. Yeah. Or stuff, you know, the stuff that lives and breathes is the stuff that's going to really grab their attention. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Jim Kennelly, friend of the show, he says, How can improv help a voice actor find their authentic voice? Well, Jim, I think that improv will help you do it by just getting you talking. Yeah. Um, and just running your mouth until you find yourself really speaking the truth. I mean, you know, there's, there's Meisner exercises that help you get to that mm-hmm. too. Um, but those are also essentially improv. Um, you know, the exercise is a game that you play with yourself. Right. Um, and I would, like I said, I recommended this book before, but you know, the, the improvisation for the lone actor has exercises in it that will help you with focus. It will help you with, um, all those things. And I I think, I think in terms of finding your authentic voice, it's like you, man, you've already got an authentic voice. You have it. 
and uh and the and and chances are you've used it the trick is conjuring it when you're in front of the microphone yeah so what what i would do jim a uh, friend of the show is put yourself in front of your microphone and record yourself just talking well jim's actually a producer um so he works with a oh, lot good. of talent so uh i think he's asking on behalf of talent oh terrific that's great man yeah. um i don't know if this would be helpful but like the idea of doing a uh, an audio diary like yeah. you know not dear diary but like just get yourself in front of a microphone and record five minutes a day just not recording copy yeah just talking truthfully like to yourself and using that improv yes ending yourself in that way of like i'm just talking about what my feelings are and when you get to that place you're going to find what your authentic voice really sounds like yeah and getting the practice of that you know what i mean because you're not doing it for anybody but yourself and again, turning down that that analytical side of your brain that's that's obsessing yeah. over every little syllable and piece of Boy. punctuation. Yeah, getting getting out of the left hand side of your getting out of your left brain and get into your right brain. Um, I've been, like I said, I've been listening to or reading Don Green's book. He was just on the I found about him found out about him on the Happiness Lab podcast. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's game changer, just game changer in terms of confidence and. Um, meditation and and then yeah right brain really getting out of i mean this guy yeah just look him up don green yeah. with an e he was he was teaching at juilliard and and teaching you know confidence and and peak performance and optimal performance and stuff it's really really great stuff oh, but yeah. um yeah my my recommendation jim to to you and to the people you you uh you work with is start there yeah. like uh, i think that's a great place to begin to find your authentic self Okay, great. Uh, Peter Bishop, um, Peter, I'm speaking to you right now. The question you asked has been answered, uh, so I'm not. I'm going to skip over your question. But thanks for submitting. Thank you, though, Peter. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, so, Marco Camarotta, what's your best tip for getting out of the "I feel stupid" range and just letting it rip and playing? <sighs> That's a choice. Hmm. There are many things in this journey that are a choice. Energy is a choice. You know. Like if my alarm goes off at five, but I'm going to set, like, I don't want to get up at five, but I choose to move my ass out the bed and get in the shower and go, go to work. Cause I love what I do, Yeah, but that's a choice. And I choose to have energy when I read, I choose to have energy when I'm in front of a classroom and sometimes feeling, feeling these things, feeling like a fool or feeling like an idiot or making really bold choices feels quite uncomfortable, but yeah. you have to. One thing is whatever booth that you're working in, in your home area, you have to remind yourself that this is a workspace. This is a sketchbook, not a portfolio. This is where you make mistakes. This is where you get to push your limits. This is the batting cage. Whatever metaphor works for you, this is the space that it is. Yeah. And this is the safe space to create and make big, bold choices. And then again, coming back to choice, it's about making a choice to make uh, to make yourself, not necessarily make yourself foolish, but choosing what you're comfortable with. And if something doesn't make, if something's outside of your comfort zone and you can't make your, can't like line those tumblers up to be able to allow yourself to do it, then don't. Yeah. There's going to be another piece of copy the next day. But if it's something you do aspire to and you want to punch through and you want to say, I can, let me see if I can play this rock monster demon. Um, and it's a uh, crazy screaming, you know, sort of a character, you know, awesome. Yeah. If that's, if that's something that you feel that you want to do. And if you don't, then don't, but if you do want to push through it and you're worried about how it feels, 
then do it. Do it more. But do it in that safe workspace so that you feel comfortable doing it. Record yourself. Listen to it. And listen with a listen with a critical ear, but not a judgmental ear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's really important. Negative self-talk is one of the most destructive forces on the planet. Yeah. And and you know, the more we um we we couch it in criticism, but it's judgment. Yeah, and it's reinforced every day with social media, right. with family and friends, you know. Right. So it's hard to break. Yeah, that's brilliant exactly. advice. And that's a choice too. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to, you got to learn to be like, man, there, and there's ways. It's actually something that Don Green covers in his book about negative self-talk. And I think one of the things that improv helps with is that too, is like, Mm. dude, it's play. It's playing. Do you go to the playground and judge playing? (laughs) Do you judge the choices that a kid makes when he picks up a stick? Because it's play. Um, I had, I had this wonderful, I, I adore this guy. His name is Terry notary. He's, um, he's a movement coach and, um, and a performer. He, in fact, he played, um, rocket in the planet of the apes movies. He's, oh. he's in, in call of the wild with Harrison Ford coming out in a couple of weeks. He played buck. I did the motion capture work for buck and he's hands down one of the best acting teachers I've ever had. And, and he teaches uh, quadrupedding movement, mm. but, um, he was telling me on my show about, about working at Cirque du Soleil and about like what that process was. And his background was being a gymnast. So rigid precision. And then going from that to Cirque where it was about clowning and play and exploring and like getting out of your head and getting into your body. Like, and I, I think, you know, for Marco was like, dude, like get into your body, get like really like meditate, do like, um, mindfulness exercises, play 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 and and treat your treat your workout space your recording space like like a like just you know everyone says the sandbox and stuff and that's fine if the sandbox was your playground but for me it was the mat room at pine rest when my when my mom was working switchboard we'd go down to the mat room where they would do psychodrama at a mental institution and they had like uh these like you know fluffy encounter bats they were called which were essentially like short they were like pillow swords you know what i mean oh like, right so me and my brothers are going there and beat the shit out of each other right. <laughs> and throw you know mats at each other like that's my playground that when i think about yeah. you know lightsabers and the backyard like but that's what this space is yeah you know so like um set yourself free from judgment keep a keep take your critical director hat off you don't have to share it with anybody. And if it makes you feel weird, then do it again tomorrow. And, um, and if it really makes it, if you lose sleep over it, then that's okay. And just do the radio spot that comes after that particular audition. Yeah. That's brilliant. You, know, advice. you to do what you don't want to love that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to give Ken Foster the last word on this because oh, he good. helped set Ken. this up. So thank you, Ken, for doing that. Um, so we have covered most of this, but I want to just sort of reiterate a little bit. How much, if any, ad lib is advisable for a one commercial, two animation or video game, or three corporate VO audition? Or should extra words be edited out? And I think he means sort of in post, if you added them in improv. Oh, let's see. Let's start with commercial. Um, as I mentioned, I, I'm very comfortable ad libbing in commercial. Yeah. Um, there are, it, I got to do have to say though, it is, it's brand specific. Okay. If it's a very luxurious brand, 
more often than not, like for example, like I did some spots for Maserati. So like when I was doing those, I wasn't improvising copy. I wasn't changing the words. Yeah. I'm dealing with an Italian company. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was a whole thing. So I made sure that the improv that I was doing was not in the dialogue. It was in the emotional language. And there's like nine words anyway, right? For something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the, these, these spots had a little bit more to them. They were oh, like, okay. they were 60s. And, um, and the reference they sent was like, I mean, one of the spots, they're, they're not up anymore, but one of the spots was um, the sea of SUVs was calm. And it was this beautiful, I mean, uh, they sh- the, the Maserati spots are just, they're absolutely gorgeous and the and the music they were using was from was nicholas Brittell's score from moonlight i mean it was oh. just gorgeous. so like to work with work in conjunction with that yeah uh was that was the suggestion yeah um but if it's a spot for you know ritz crackers you better believe i'm adding stuff even if i'm not adding a lot i'm contracting you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying cannot, I'm saying can't. And more often than not, these spots are written very conversationally. So you don't have to do a lot, yep. but in general, Ken knows this, but it's, it's great to be echoed. I, I say, I probably do like 95% is what's on the page. Okay. And if I add anything, it's I'm adding 5% and it's like a, you know, it's a bro. It's this, that, or the other thing. I'm not looking, I'm rarely trying to find a joke at the end because yeah. I'm lucky they made it to the end of the audition. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I like Pat Fraley's thing of like, dude, he, there's two, two great nuggets from, from Fraley conversations. One is do, do your button at the top. Op- open with your joke. Yeah. Oh, there's no guarantee they're going to get to the end. And if they, if you crack them up early, then crack them up yeah. and use that to set up the scene, set up the context, set up the environment. Madge, oh, it's the same every day. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who are you talking to? And now I'm talking to you. You're in my room. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of, that sort of lead in approach. Yeah. Um, the other thing he said was, uh, he, he uh, loves telling the story about John Cleese. John Cleese is in the booth and they're getting ready to record and he's, the mixer hears him, you know, making this sort of making this sound. And he's like, uh, they're like, John, uh, Mr. Cleese, are you ready to go? And he said, one moment, let me finish writing my ad libs. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's, uh, I love that yeah. because like, write Two or three great jokes. Yeah. There's no premium in coming up with it in the moment. Like in yeah. an audition. Yeah. No crafting, one's going to know. Yeah. The whole thing. You know, um, when it comes to animation and video games, I, I think the, the, I, I, they love it. Right. Um, in terms of, in terms of changing the words, not so much, but bring yeah. like, bring life to it. I'm, you know, like I stammer a ton. I, I, a lot of, there's a lot of things like this was from Sarah Jane Sherman. She's like, I want to hear that there's, that there's thought behind the character. Like mm-hmm. just because. I I love it. She says, um, you know, we give you the sides. So like, think of the sides giving you the opportunity to show me different sides of mm-hmm. the character. Oh, uh, really and then she was like, you know, I never hear characters sitting, standing, moving like, you know, like that's a great idea. Like all to have, like, if there's three lines in a row, it's like, there you are. <sighs> Listen, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've changed the environment. I've changed the context i've changed the intimacy the connection i've given the animators something to do by rather than going there you are listen the character doesn't change posture and all this is recorded before so it's you're you're allowing the animators to yes and what you've created love that yeah that's pretty 
I, I, I think that we put a lot of premium on words. Like I said, use, use nonverbals to bring life to stuff. Um, and if you got a great joke, great, but it had better be funnier than what's on the page. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and more often than not, I feel like it's, it's a little presumptuous to, uh, to, to try to come up with better jokes. But if you've got, if you've got a good button or a good lead in that'll help you with it, you know, try it. Um, and then you'll either learn, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a choice and things like industrials and stuff like that and corporate narration. Yeah. With that. I feel like they're a little bit more reticent to change stuff because, you know, they're like, well, we got to work with this talent. Yeah. It's gone through compliance and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. (laughs) So I I think you're better off, uh, always ask. There's never anything wrong with asking, but I think when it comes to, when it comes to corporate stuff, it's finding where can I put life in it? Where can I put connection? And rather than changing the words, change your intention, change your proximity to the audience, change the where change all those kind of things that will inform and bring life to the copy in a way that makes it feel intimate and impactful. Brilliant. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So how do people find out more about you and your classes? And cause you teach improv, um, where do people go to find out more? So, uh, I am teaching at Calvinson and Calvinson here in Los Angeles. Um, I, uh, and you can go to Calvinson and Calvinson or Calvinson.com and find out about, uh, classes with me there. I'm teaching animation. I'm teaching, um, a VO for actors, VO for non-actors, um, a, a wide variety of classes there. Um, I also teach, uh, at second city here and teach improv groups, uh, sort of, um, around, uh, right now, <laughs> right now I'm getting ready to teach a workout group. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so studying with me in that respect, I, I would send people to, uh, love that Rebecca, um, yep. for, um, for, uh, for some of the, the Skype based improv classes that she's been kind of managing and putting together. That's been really terrific. That's how I met Ken Foster and, and how we really, uh, came together. Um, that's enough about Ken Foster. That is enough about Ken Foster. (laughs) Ken, you've already got, there's been so many shots. I'm talking to you now. That's enough. (laughs) I'm going to stop talking about Ken Foster. Ah, I said it again. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, I put stuff up on my website. Uh, my website is kiffvh.com, K-I-F-F-V-H.com. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at kiffvh. Um, I, I have, as I've mentioned several times, I, I host a podcast about VO called all over voiceover. Um, Love and it. you can find that where uh, it's brilliant. Podcast I found. Thank you. And, um, it's also on the website, all over vo.com. You can, uh, pay for that. So you can check that out there all over vo.com. And that's, um, that's what's happening. I love it. Well, thanks so much. That was a treasure trove of information. Um, and it was wildly entertaining as well. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Jamie, I can't thank you enough for having me on the show, man. This was, I really had a great time and I love talking about this stuff and yelling about this stuff. And especially, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's one thing to like, when you give advice to someone and they're like, yeah, uh, all right, thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's what I love about, about this particular form is that people who consume podcasts really do for info that, uh, that they, they can take and enrich their lives and, and not just, uh, just take your energy and then, uh, and then don't necessarily take your advice. It's nice. And I, I hope that, that, uh, that my journey uh, makes your journey just a little bit easier. Thanks as always to our guests, our sponsor JMC Demos, 
and to Backstage Magazine. And a special shout-out goes to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at VO School Podcast. And for early access to episodes and for other perks, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash VO School. I'll see you again next time.